welcome to Connecting Citizens to Science, a podcast from the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine about engaging communities in global health research. I'm Kim Ozano. And I'm Bea Eggard. And throughout this series, we'll be talking to researchers from around the world, exploring how they connect with people to address a range of challenges in global health. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. Today, we have a really special episode where we will be hearing from a citizen about their lived experience of TB. In series three of this podcast, we explored TB and the challenges and opportunities of connecting with people and communities to improve TB prevention, diagnosis and treatment. However, we value the voices of citizens and have taken the opportunity so kindly offered by our guest Mary to hear about her experience and to learn from it. Before we begin, though, let's speak to our co-host, Rona. Rona, how are you today? And tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you, Kim. I'm very well, and I hope you're well, Kim. It's great to be uh, part of another um, very interesting conversation. My name is Rona Mizumbi, a senior lecturer of public policy at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, but based here in Blanta at the Malawi Liverpool Wellcome Trust Clinical Research Program. I am a medical doctor by training and having transitioned through a few years of research positions, I now work in public policy, trying to link science uh, with policy making. And with this work, it is very, very important for us to hear some of the stories, very similar to what we'll hear today from Mary, of real life lived experiences that help us make the pertinent decisions. So I am so excited to be here, Kim. Me too, and uh, nice to hear your voice again. So let's move on and hear from our guest. Mary, we're, as you can see, we're, we're really pleased to have you with us today. Tell us a bit about yourself and who you are and where you're based, please. Wow. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Mary Mpachibi. Um, I am from Uganda, from a district called Mayuge, Mayuge district, but uh, currently I'm staying here in Kampala. Uh, in a parish called Chevando. Chevando is a parish located in Kawempe Division, Kampala District, uh, here in Uganda. I am 28 years old and I'm currently working in an organization called Kawempe Home Care. Uh, briefly about Kawempe Home Care Kawempe Home Care is a community based organization that is uh, uh, dealing with people living with HIV, AIDS, TB, and cancer. I'm working as a retentions officer, uh, uh, at the same time a TB champion, rather TB expert, and uh, trying to bridge the gap between the, the, the communities and the healthy facilities and the researchers too. Um, I'm also working uh, in hand with the uh, Makere Lang Institute as a community advisory board member. And uh, at uh, the Makere Lang Institute, majorly the CUB is uh, doing a lot of work as far as bridging the gap between the communities and the researchers is concerned. Uh, at the same time, um, I was also elected to be a member of the UCAG, the country advisory group under the Light TB project, still at Makere Lang Institute here in Uganda. Uh, thank you. 
Wow, that's such an impressive list of uh, uh, jobs and responsibilities you have. So a retention officer, let's break that down a little bit more for our guests. Tell us what that involves. What uh, a retention officer does is to ensure that we do close follow-ups uh, of those patients who are losing hope alongside their treatment journeys do a lot of counseling, ensuring that patients are taking uh, uh, their medications very well as far as adherence is concerned. We always go to their homes and try to find out why they are not coming back to the facilities. And so um, we come up with all kinds of resolutions to see that a patient is uh, retained into care. And the other thing we, we do is to ensure that we give them a full package of counseling. On the side of the TB uh, champion expert, I'm doing a lot of counseling as far as uh, um, TB is concerned, uh, both in the communities and uh, at, at facility levels. Uh, why? Because of the life example, rather experience of TB that I have personally gone through. So um, that is it. Thank you. Thank you. I think that is it, is, is, is clearly a lot. You have so many skills and so many different roles and are clearly uh, a, a strong support in your community, but also in the country and, and at different levels of the health system. So it's wonderful to hear that. I think what we would like to understand is how did you get to where you are now? Some years back, that was in 2015, immediately after my graduation uh, at uh, Makere, um, pursuing, I was pursuing a diploma in guidance and counseling. And uh, actually it was immediately after my graduation when I started falling sick. But before that, um, still I was uh, working with Kawempe Home Care in that period of time. And by then I was working at, uh, at Kawimpi Home Care as a front desk person, uh, also schooling at the same time. Some days after my graduation, that is when I started falling sick. But um, when I started falling sick, I, I really didn't present with any sign of TB. In the beginning, I started getting those fevers, like on and off fevers. I could wake up in the morning when I'm feeling sick. But then when it comes to the daytime, I, um, I feel a bit relieved. Then again, in the evening hours, I could get those fevers. Late in the night when I'm sleeping, I could find my bed when it is all the bed sheets are wet, like a lot of night sweats. So uh, what I did because of the general body weakness that was also following the fevers, um, I went to my colleagues at the facility where I'm, I'm working right now, or rather where I was working before. Talked to my workmates who are the healthy providers told them, um, my dear colleagues, I'm not fine. So they had to do all those examinations. They did the malaria tests and, and uh, urinalysis, the CBC to find out what was really happening with my life. But um, the, the, the CBC, of course, the results came back showing I had some bacterial infection in me, but uh, the malaria was negative. 
and uh, the other tests were all negative. So what they did was to put me on a treatment of some antibiotics, which were injectables for a period of two weeks, but there was no improvement. My condition was just deteriorating every now and then from fevers to losing appetite, from losing appetite uh, to losing weight. But still, because of the love that I had for my job, I continued working, even if I was going through all that. Mm -hmm. So um, I realized I was becoming wasted, losing my kilograms every day because I could not even eat at that time. I had totally lost appetite. So um, my colleagues went ahead to, they were really bothered. They went ahead to do more examinations. And in that period, after actually the antibiotics for the two weeks, I started feeling abdominal pain um, on my right-hand side, lower abdomen. So um, the pain uh, became uh, serious to an extent that I could not even stand upright. <clears throat> so what my colleagues did were like, no, we should send her for an abdominal scan and we try to really do more investigations. So. I was sent to Mulago uh, to do an abdominal scan. The results came back showing that I had some fluids just down, uh, like from that area, around that area where they scanned, where I was feeling a lot of pain. So, um, and the scan was saying uh, it could be associated to, to the bacteria infection still. So the questions were, I have been on antibiotics for two weeks, but why again are, are bacteria infections still occurring? So they changed the treatment a little bit. And again, uh, still there were IVs, IV fluids and uh, some, some inject, but still there was no improvement. And that is when my family got concerned. Um, right now I, I grew up with uh, only a dad. My biological mother died when I was still young. I was in P3. So my father got concerned. And then he was like, no, I need my daughter back to find out what is really happening. My dad is an educated man, but um, at that time, like a parent, I think he had so many questions around him. Why is my daughter not getting fine? So my brother came for me and uh, my colleagues had to write a, a, what, a referral letter. But just imagine referring you from Kampala to a hospital that is deep in the village. Why did my father do so? Because he wanted me to be close to him so that he can do some close monitoring. So I went back to the village. When I went back to the village, daddy took me to that hospital. They had to put me back on antibiotics, another phase of antibiotics again. But still there was no improvement. So uh, that is when my father decided like a parent, of course, I think lots of questions came in around his mind. And then he was like, I think my daughter has been bewitched, bewitched, something to do with witchcraft. So what he did was to take me away from Ginger Hospital. And then he took me back down to, to the village. Uh, near our village, there was a doctor who was like, I am suspecting something to be happening around this child's life and we did some other tests so when we did the tests the doctors sat down and they decided to put me on a trial 
of anti-TBs. So uh, they started me just trying a try and error to see if I could really respond. So they, uh, they prescribed uh, that first line treatment of TB drugs, but without a clinical or final clinical examination indicating that I have TB. So um, when they started me on that trial, it so happened that by surprise, I responded to that treatment. So I started swallowing those tablets for the two weeks period of time. And actually I had responded. So after responding on this treatment, it so happened that I, I developed a, a lymph node around my neck. At the same time, I developed some cough. Now, when I developed the cough, the cough inside me, because I was working at a healthy facility that was handling people living with HIV, TB, and cancer, of course, I had some knowledge about TB and HIV. So when I saw the lymph node around my neck, I was touched. And I, I told my daddy, I was like, you know what, daddy, I need to go back to my workplace. So my father was like, no you're not going anywhere. You see, this is typical witchcraft. You've even started developing these swollen lymph nodes around your, your neck. This is real witchcraft. So what he did, he took me, unfortunately, my father carried me to a shrine. Um, what I faced in the shrine was not easy. They did all the cultural rituals that you, you can think of. Uh, they cut me with lots of laser breads, all in the names of saying that uh, maybe there is a workmate that is against me. My daughter has studied. Now people are against her. Whichever you've heard of like witchcraft was really happening. So um, I went through that traumatizing condition from that uh, shrine which I really felt it was no, uncomfortable for me. And what I did, <clears throat> because as personally, I had some experience as far as HIV and TB is concerned. What I did, I, 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 I ran away from my father. I got a border border from the village and I jumped in a taxi without even him knowing and uh, came back to Kampala at my workplace. When I came back to Kampala, I made sure I, I carry all my documents, whatever was concerning, like whichever treatment they have given me. So I came back to Kampala here at Kawimpe Home Care and shared my documents with my colleagues. So what they did was they were like, now we have to continue with the TB treatment. And we see since the antibiotics are strong, like the TB treat drugs are also antibiotics that are even stronger. So they were like, it's okay, let, let us uh, keep you on this treatment and we, we see. So I kept on taking that treatment for another one month period. And actually when I had just made it two months, I started pestering my, my workmates, telling them, you know what, now that I have made two months on that treatment, can we please do some, some sputum follow-ups, like smear follow-ups? So for them, um, <clears throat> they 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 thought of like since Mary you're not coughing you're not coughing because the other cough had cleared actually 
the cough that I developed after the, uh, getting the lymph node had cleared. I think these TB drugs cleared that cough. So for them, they were like, uh, you're not even coughing. Will you even be able to give us the smear sample? They were like, no, we can't, we can't force you to produce that sputum. Just continue the treatment. But whenever I could go back to my car room, I would think the whole night, I'm like, no. The procedures say when someone has been started on the TB treatment, at least for the first two months, you have to make sure you do a smear follow-up to see whether this person is responding on treatment or not. But why are my colleagues refusing to do so? All in the names of like, I can't produce sputum. So I was able to cancel myself. And then the following morning, I went and I told them, I, I think I need to do it. I will force myself to get a sputum sample. So what I did, I organized, I sat down with my colleague who was a lab technician and I tried to convince him. So he was like, but you have to be with a request form from a clinician for us to do this, what? Examination. So I told him, no, I've tried to talk to my colleagues, the clinicians, but for them, they are thinking I can't produce sputum. So what he did, he had to agree with me and he gave me a, a container, a sputum container, which I went with at home and tried in the night. In the night, I tried to collect the sample. Um, even very early in the morning, I, wake up, I woke up very early in the morning. I took some little water. I I, I moved around the compound where I was, I, I, I was staying and I forced myself to get the sample. And good enough, I was able to collect that sample and handed it over to the lab technician. Um, results came, came back indicating that I had a resistant strain like MDR resistant. So um, it was not easy for me at that time because by then uh, it was so uh, traumatizing. There was a lot of discrimination associated with TB, as far as TB patients are concerned, especially the MDR TB patients. When even my colleagues are, are fearing me at that moment, actually they had told me to just from the facility, just go to Mulango, don't even go back home, which was not really easy for me. So what I did uh, from the facility after me getting the results, I had to first go home and prepare myself because remember I was staying alone in the room and at that time there was no one to cancel me. I almost committed suicide because of what I was going through because remember I had heard of uh, MDR experience which was not easy. So in my mind what was triggering me and traumatizing me was how am I going to stay on that, on that treatment for two years, receiving injections and swallowing all that, like those pills, a number of pills for all that period of time? And who is going to be there for me? Then secondly, I was scared of losing my job because automatically they had told me, go and stay at Mulago until when you finish your treatment for that two years period. So um, I had to cancel myself and later on the following morning, I had to go to Mulago 
I went to Mlago Ward 5 and 6, that is the TB ward here in Uganda at Mlago. And um, the doctors there received me warmly. They told me to first go back home. And uh, they said they would give me a call if they received the drugs. So again, I had to leave the facility, left Mulago and came back home, stayed home. So I stayed indoors for a full week until when the Mulago people called me and they told me to pack my things and go for the admission. I was admitted at Mulago where I started receiving the treatment for the first two months. And um, um, I was so happy that uh, within the first two weeks, in Mulago, um, I actually, the, the, the lymph node disappeared. That, is, that was number one. And secondly, um, the, there was a research going on. There was a research going on from Case Western. Uh, it is also part of Mulago. And uh, I think uh, the study was about uh, some, some, some new drug called bedaquilin. And actually, they 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 tried to put me on that drug, but I I I think I reacted on it. Uh, my heart started like palpitations were abnormal, so they had to put me off that treatment, and then they put me back to the normal uh, treatment for as the national standard is concerned. So the treatment that I was put on involved injections for eight months. And uh, the drugs that I had were canamycin. Canamycin was the injectable part of it. Then I, I also had ethionamide. I had pyrazinamide, levofloxacin, and cyclosirine. So uh, it involved uh, a combination of uh, five drugs, inclusive of the injectables. Within a period of one month, I had really started improving on that treatment, though the injections were many. Actually, when you could hear of injections for eight months, you, that one only would really traumatize you. And you're like, will I really get out of this condition? Though, some people at the ward uh, actually were losing hope. Some of them were running away from the treatment. Why? Because of the injections. Really, the injections were very many at that time. And like, unless, likewise, one, one of these days, like, uh, ideally, they've, they've taken off the injections. People who are receiving the treatment nowadays are very lucky because for them, they are now just on the orals, they're just swallowing the pills, no injections. But for us at that regime, within a period of one month, I was responding positively. The treatment was really working for me. So after the three months, I was discharged from Lago, but um, <clears throat> they always tell us, they could always tell us to go and find, like when they're to discharge you, you go back home and find a nearby clinic. A, a clinic that is near your home so that they can come and drop off your drugs to that clinic and uh, so that you can be able to continue receiving your treatment from that nearby clinic that is near your home. So uh, at the clinic, of course, I would always leave home and move to the clinic every day receiving my treatment at around nine in the morning and I could receive my treatment there. And then on a monthly basis, I would go back to Mulago 
for more examinations to see how I am progressing with that treatment. Actually, I had forgotten to share with you. Um, I, I faced a lot of side effects. One, when I was put on bedaquilin, I, I had that problem of the palpitations of the heart, like my heart started like functioning abnormally. So that is when I was put off bedaquilin back to canamycelin. And then when I went back to the injectables, still I faced it rough. Um, I had a problem like um, at some time, I, I had a hearing loss. I could not hear properly, but good enough. I reported this early at the facility at Mlago. And so they had to give me a pause, like they paused the treatment for some period of time and again restarted me. So um, when they restarted me, of course, uh, they also dealt with the hearing part of it and uh, it, it became, it went back to the normal. So uh, the other side effect that I also had was uh, my sight. My sight up to now, I still have a problem with my eyes. I can't see properly, especially when it comes to under the sun, when it is too hot or when the light is too much, I cannot see properly. Then uh, at some time, I also had a side effect where my belly was swelling seriously and actually the liver had gotten some issues. So still, again, they had to put me off the treatment for some period of time. After handling the side defect, and maybe they see you're now improving so that they could again put you back to the treatment. So all those side effects, seriously, like were not really easy to, to go around with. I also had numbness of my limbs. Maybe the other psychological torture was they could really refuse us to stay with our families. Why? because of uh, the spreading of the disease. So for all that period of time of two years, I stayed in the house alone, which was not really easy. Sincerely speaking, I needed someone on my side to maybe to talk to or to help me do some other work because at that time I, I was vulnerable, seriously. But I never had anyone because they could not allow anyone like, you, you shouldn't be with anyone in the house. You have to be alone until when you finish that treatment. So it was not really easy, but of course I had to persist and uh, pray to God to help me go over. And I really thank God that I went over it. Um, in 2017, that was in the month of October, on, on the 10th of October, I was discharged from that treatment. Thank you. Mary, thank you so much for sharing that story. Um, I don't even know where to begin to, to, uh, to empathize with your situation. And uh, I think I never really grasped the, the stigma and the isolation that you went through and the side effects of physical, mentally, the impact must have been extraordinary. Thank you for sharing that story and really bringing it to life. I'm going to hand over to Rona, who maybe can pick up from 2017 to, to, to now and how you've become this wonderful TB champion. Rona, over to you. Thank you for sharing with us. 
And in, in, you know, in the spirit of sharing, I'm wondering, have you connected, you know, with science or research related to TB, uh, you know, to share your story in that light as well? Yeah, um, um, I've um, actually I've gotten involved in um, in in so many uh, advocacy teams as far as the TB is concerned. Very many people wanted to hear my story, and actually that is the reason as to why uh, the the Makere Lang Institute picked me up after hearing my story. And that is when I joined the community advisory board at Makere Lang Institute. And um, I'm sharing my experience. Makere um, Lang Institute, I understand there is a, a research that uh, was going on that is a stream, stream for trial, whereby uh, they really wanted to, to, to find out uh, 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 more as far as if there is some treatment that can really work out for patients instead of the injectables. And actually, uh, there is, when the research study started, um, they were really so much interested in my story because of what I went through. Um, by the mere fact that I, I, I had tested the number of drugs, including the one drug that they were doing research on, which was bedaquiline. And uh, bedaquiline is an, an oral drug. So like, because of my experience that I, I had shared with them, they really thought it is it would be much better if someone is put on a, oral treatment or regimen better than the injectables. So um, um, doing that research and uh, hearing from my testimony, it has really helped the researchers to really, um, so uh, that is when I got involved in with the researchers. Thank you for that, Mary. And how do you feel? your sharing of your story has been received and you feel like the scientists or all these people that have had it have actually acted on it? My experience on TB, on TB has really helped uh, uh, very many people because actually here in Uganda, majority of the people used to think TB uh, is a witchcraft. There was something like uh, myths and misconceptions about uh, a person suffering from TB. Why? Because uh, sometimes a TB patient presents with signs like a person has been, uh, uh, like a person living with HIV, or sometimes uh, maybe uh, the society would think uh, someone has been bewitched, just like my dad thought of. So um, sharing my experience has really helped uh, to help very many people. It uh, being an advocate, uh, creating awareness to the people in the communities outside there in the communities. I think it has really given more people hope and the enlightenment on TB. Uh, not to say that it is a witchcraft, but to know that uh, TB is a disease that is curable. So um, I think it has helped very many people, especially when it comes to patient adherence. Um, very many patients have been able to cope up with their situations as far as that the TB treatment is concerned after hearing from my story. Like 
for now, for example, for now, people who are uh, only uh, swallowing uh, tablets, like they are on the oral regimen, if I told them what I went through as far as injectables are concerned, getting injections for eight months on a daily basis for all that period of time and on addition to uh, tablets, like oral tablets for two years, then uh, someone would really say, oh, I would rather stay on orals for a shorter period of time than receiving the injections. And, and really kudos to you. Uh, well done, Mary, for stepping out and, and sharing your story. And in light of that, what have you learned about communicating your experience to inform TB responses? What would you tell somebody who's in your position, holding on to a very powerful story, uh, but not too sure that they want to talk about it? On the side of the patients themselves, um, they might be going through a situation or rather maybe it is uh, medical based, like uh, not psychosocial, but uh, like medical based, going through experiencing a lot of side effects on the treatment that maybe they are, they are taking, but then they keep back as in silent, not coming out to talk about themselves. But here, uh, when I came out and talked about my story as far as receiving the injections for a long period of time was concerned, researchers got concerned. And actually they had to put in more energy as far as introducing an regimen is concerned. So it was really helpful for me to come out and share my experience. And you find that my experience was able to help both the researchers and at the same time the patients who are living with TB or who are suffering from TB to uh, on the side of the researchers, they had to know the side effects that I was going through. And uh, they, that is when they came in and realized an oral regimen should be introduced for, for, for people to adhere well, because the majority of the patients would run away from the treatment. So for the person who is outside there, Please don't, the person should not refuse to come out and share their experience. You never know it would help someone else. It, would, it can be an inspiring story that can even bring in change, even with the researchers to understand that, oh, if we use this drug, this is what it is doing to the people in the community. Because they find that if I was not able to adhere on my treatment very well, uh, you never know I would have died. I wouldn't be here talking or sharing my experience with you also people. So it helps uh, if you come out and share your experience with others in the community. A person who is losing hope can be like, okay, if this person I am hearing had the same story, had the same disease, but was able to adhere, persist on her treatment and adhere, and now she is very live and kicking. That means the disease is, is curable. So the person outside hearing that experience can be like, I think I need also to press on until when I get better, because TB is curable. Thank you. Thanks, Mary, and that's extremely helpful. One last question. Anything you have learned about communicating an experience like yours to help science? There is always a positive response. 
when a voice comes out loud speaking on on, on behalf of the community so um by the mere fact that the researchers took on um, my experience and they had uh, to act positively uh, by, by, by thinking of an oral regimen, uh, that one really taught me a lot that it is always good to come out and speak about yourself. So um, I think uh, that is what I learned, like communicating can put a positive change. Like when you, able to communicate, you, 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 you never know there could be a positive attitude or rather a, pot, a positive response uh, from the people that you've communicated to. So that is really very, very good. Thank you so much, Mary, for taking the time to share your story with us. And I'll hand you back now to Kim uh, Kim, would you help us, you know, wrap this up with some big messages? Thanks, Rona, and thanks, Mary. So, Mary, you've talked about how TB survivors can help researchers, but we want to hear from you as researchers and scientists. What can we do to improve involvement of people with TB? For the TB survivors, they are so, so, so helpful as far as adherence is concerned, these people can act as live examples to the people in the community. Because if someone has gone through an experience and this person has been able to overcome, then he or she is in a very much better position to be a counselor because a good counselor is always the one who has had some experience about something. So it is, it is always good for someone to hear as a live testimony that is uh, really hopeful to that person to also really say, I think I can adhere to the treatment and I think I can get better with time. So um, I think there is a chance of getting TB survivors to do more of TB education, adherence counseling, advocacy teams, this would really help people in the community as far as TB is concerned, especially the people who are living with a disease, not only TB, but uh, also HIV, because I understand these two are brothers and sisters. And uh, actually, if a live story is coming out to cancel someone, then that person who is suffering, who is in that situation at that moment, will be able to pick out something and say, oh, if this person went through this and overcame, I think I can also overcome. So yeah, it is really very important to use TB as survivors or rather TB champions as far as advocacy is concerned and creating awareness because they are live examples. Thanks very much, Mary. So I think lessons to researchers and scientists out there that are looking at TB programs is to, to, to help uh, TB survivors join with uh, other TB patients so that they can learn from experience and, and gain that hope. And from exactly. what you're saying is also to build skills so that they can offer uh, peer counseling and support on a one-to-one -one exactly. basis in communities. And I think you're also calling out to us to say, share uh, the voices uh, and raise those voices so that they can be heard. Because actually, Dr. Kim, yes. um, are the facilities that I've always been able to move to, 
I always tell my life experience. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the other thing I forgot to tell you about, um, I was also um, born with HIV and um, I'm currently on a, a, a second line treatment. And that is, that is the period when my mother had passed on and up to now I am still living positively. So um, it so happened that in my life experience I've gone through a lot include inclusive of the MDRITB experience. But here I am, I'm still fine. And I, I have, I am still living as an example to the community. So whenever I stand up at, I, in the communities or rather to the facilities and I talk about my experience, I always tell patients to, 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 to pick courage, get courage and keep on taking their medications. Because they always look at me as a live example. I'm living positively and I look healthy. And so I am like, if I am able right from my childhood up to now, 28 years, and I am still able to take my treatment on, despite of whatever I have gone through, then what about anyone else? So always patients are concerned and they're they are really getting touched about my story. And this has really helped many to cope to cope up, to adhere, to live positively as far as their treatment is concerned, both HIV and TB. Thank you. Mary, thank you so much. You are such a strong, aspirational person. And I think there is nothing more I can say but to say thank you for sharing this. And, and we will uh, share it with our listeners and listeners. Please uh, do like uh, and, and share this episode. It's really important that we get Mary's stories out there and her incredible strengths. So Mary, thank you. Rona, thank you for joining us as well. Um, and thank you to our listeners. Goodbye for now. Bye, thank Bye. you too.